Imagine you're on the Titanic. It's 1912, and the ship is going down. There's no question. All the lifeboats, which they obviously didn't have enough, are gone. You can't just jump into the water because you'll, you, you, you won't last. You won't last. You, the frigid waters, you know that it's just 10 or 15 minutes before the ship goes down and you hit the frigid waters and your life as you know it is over. Just try to think about what that might, must have been like to be on that ship as it's sinking, as it's listing, as it's going under. And realizing that your life right now, the life you know, the life you live, the life that began this trip with hope, with promise, with expectations, is now horribly, horribly gone. Does it matter to you right now that dinner wasn't that good? Probably not. Does it matter to you that you have a lot of money in the safe? It's not going to do you any good. It doesn't really make much difference whether it's there or not. Does it matter that you had first class accommodations for this trip? Not really. Does it matter that you have this, this incredible job waiting for you when you get to New York City? One that you've been waiting for for your whole life and you thought this is it. This is going to be the job. And you realize you're not even going to make it there. Your life is about to end, so these things that an hour ago, 45 minutes ago, seemed so important, so critical, so significant, really don't mean anything anymore. doesn't really matter. In the end, you know, we're all playing this game. We don't just, we're all going to have these, one of, every one of us in this room is going to have a titanic moment in our lives. That, that moment when we realize, this is it. This is it. And all the things that you're worried about right now, all the things you care about way too much, all the things that you spend all of your time and your energy on are going to be of little concern. One day, everything in your life, how you lived, is going to be brought to pinpoint focus where you're going to say, was it was it worth it? Did I live well? Am I ready? In other words, when you come to your, the end of your life, you're going to be forced to ask some hard questions. If you get the opportunity, I mean, obviously, some people die instantly and have no thought. But if, you've had, if, you, if you know it's coming, you have a little bit of time to think through it. Most of the things that we often worry about and think about and treasure and wring our hands about, at that moment we go, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. 
Here's our problem, though. Our problem is that our life seems like it's going to go on forever. That day's never going to come. And we go about our day-to-day routine, and we're generally too busy to contemplate that titanic day that is coming for every one of us. We, we don't think about it. And, and we need to think about it. We need to say, when I come to that day where I'm standing on the deck of the Titanic of my life, and I know it's going down, and I know I don't have much time, will I be able to look back on my life and say, I didn't live a perfect life, but I lived life well. I lived life well. Now, that's the question I want to ask you. When you lay your head down for the last time, will you be able to look back on your life and say, I lived my life well. Uh, we're not talking about perfection. Okay, let's just... We're asking whether we, we say, you know, I lived well. I lived well. The question I have is, how would you know? How would you know if you lived well? What, what, de, what determines a, a life well lived? What really matters? Do you really know the reason for your life? And, and, and what does that look like? Have you ever stopped to consider what you're really living for? You know, we call this life sometimes the rat race because we don't really think about what we're doing. We're just doing it. Going, doing whatever we're doing. So, I'm following this young couple. They're from Michigan. And they're, they're in the age group of my, my boys, basically. They're millennials. And not to, it's not, I'm not pounding on millennials because it doesn't really matter what age you are. All generations do this. But they're basically, they spent the last two years, and I'm following them on YouTube, they've spent the last two years working on their boat, their sailboat. They've left their professional lives and they've been working on restoring the sailboat. They just put it in the water about two weeks ago. And they've got a few last things to do. And their goal is to uh, finish the boat, get on the boat, and sail to, for the next 10 or 15 years or however, to the the ports around the world, basically, is what they want to do. Now, many people would think, what a wonderful thing to do. Um, how exciting. But I'm watching this video and I'm bothered by it. I'm, I'm, I'm watching as they, you know, share what they're doing to the boat. And, and one day it dawned on me, it says, something about this bothers me. And I guess I'm wondering along with you out loud. Isn't life meant to be more than that? Isn't life meant to be more than, let's work on a sailboat for two years and let's spend the next 10 or 15 years and visit ports around the world? In other words, let's live for ourselves. Let's live for ourselves. The question I'm asking is, is living life solely for yourself living well? Now, I think you know as a pastor... I'm probably going to say that's probably not. But the, the, the question I'm asking is, is living free the chief end of a life lived well? 
Because that's the thing. We're going to be free. We're going to go to these ports and we're going to live our lives and we're just going to do our thing. And I'm not picking on them. I'm just, this is typical of probably most people, many people. But what I'm suggesting is there's a common belief in our pop culture that freedom, true freedom, can only come to us when we live without any restraints. And you would almost have to bring in there, and nobody would say this out loud, but by, by decision, by the way they live, it essentially says, and without the intrusion and invasion of God in my life. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. So this kind of freedom, our pop culture just puts before us daily, and it's, it, it basically says, I can, I get to do, I want to do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it. And you've heard the saying, people have used this all the time, they say, as long as I don't hurt anyone, I can do whatever I want. In other words, the point is, nothing is prohibited if it brings me happiness. As long as I, quote, don't hurt anyone. One philosopher put it this way, it's forbidden to forbid. It's forbidden to forbid. And, and by the way, that phrase, that idea, that philosophy has really just part of our pop culture. Because in the end, when we wake up many times, if not most times, we're living our lives as though, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? But this is an impossible premise to live by because it's an impossible way to live. Um, how can you live in a world where nothing is absolutely wrong and everything is permissible? You'd have just pandemonium. You would have, it would just be, there's no way that you can live that way. And essentially the implications of this view is it means that really, Nothing really matters. My life has no real purpose, no meaning other than the one I give it. John Lennon wrote the song, Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no God. Imagine a life like that. And the premise of the whole song is, if there wasn't any of that, we would be so better off without God. Biblical Christianity teaches that a life without God, though, is meaningless. I I love what uh, Dorothy Sayers says, and I want to read her quote. She says this, In the world it is called tolerance, and her tolerant word for tolerance is freedom. But in hell it's called despair. The sin that believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing lives for nothing, and remains alive because there is nothing for which it will die. I'm convinced that only when we give our lives back to our creators that we get our lives back. When we submit to Him, we find purpose, we find meaning, and we find the true freedom of our lives. We also discover the way, the, way, the way we were designed to live. We find our purpose. Find our purpose. What we're doing in this series is we're looking at 
what are the, the, the major beliefs of Hope Church, of this community, of what, are, what, are, what does the free church believe about God, about the Bible, about Jesus Christ, about um, the, the human condition, about the Holy Spirit, about um, the Christian life? How should we then live? How should we live? And so what I want to do is I want to read this statement out loud uh, on Christian living, because I think it's well written. And then what I want to do is I want to just pull one uh, phrase, one sentence out of there, and I want to talk about that for a few minutes. Um, but let me read it to you. This is the, the free church statement on Christian living. We believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. I could do a whole sermon on that, but we don't have time. This is the phrase I want to look at. God commands us to love him supremely and others sacrificially and to live out our faith with care for one another, compassion towards the poor and justice for the oppressed. With God's word, the spirit's power and fervent prayer in Christ's name, we are to combat the spiritual forces of evil. In obedience to Christ's commission, we are to make disciples among all people always bearing witness to the gospel in word and deed. So what I want to do is I want to take one sentence out of this whole statement, and I just want to, because I think it really summarizes, it. because my premise this weekend is that our lives weren't designed to wake up one day or every day and say, what do I want to do today? My premise is that we're to wake up and say, We're in his world, we're in his universe, we're designed and created by him. He has a plan and a purpose for our lives. We may want to consult with him and ask him what he thinks. So the statement that I want to look at is this. And I think this helps us to say, to define what does the Bible say a life well lived looks like. And it looks like this. God commands us to love him supremely and others sacrificially, and to live out our faith with care for one another, compassion toward the poor, and justice for the oppressed. The point I want you to see is that real freedom comes to us when we give our lives back to our Creator, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that we can only find our purpose and meaning in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Designer. That's essentially what I want to look at. And that's what I think the Bible teaches so, um, Jesus said a couple of interesting things. One of the things he says, said is, in Matthew 10.39, he said, we find our life when we lose our life. And what did he mean by that? I think essentially what Jesus is saying, and this is why when people went to follow Jesus, he, he immediately said, come and follow me, and then some one day said, well, I've got this and I've got this. And he says, you can't. You're either following me or you're not. You're either all in or you're not. And here, you know, and, and he has these other statements. My, Carol and I were talking on the way uh, to, the, to the services this weekend. And she said to me, we were talking about the love of family. And, and uh, is love of family the ultimate purpose of life? Well, it can't be. It shouldn't be. It better not be. Because uh, essentially your family is going to end the day you die. If you're living that way, 
that can't be the primary purpose of your life. That can be an important person, but it can't be the primary purpose because you're, you, everyone, there's no one, there's no one in this room that a hundred years from now is, is going to be alive. Or probably remembered. So you better, you better find a higher purpose than that. And that's why I think Jesus says, you, if you're going to come and follow me, you need to hate your mother and hate your father. And he wasn't, the point is, there's a bigger, there's a big, there's bigger fish to fry, my, my mom used to say. I don't know what she meant by that, but it sounded good there, right? But, but, but no, Jesus is saying that there's a higher purpose, there's something greater going on here. So what I want to do is I want to look at uh, John chapter 1, and I want to look at what John has to say, because I think what John is showing us is where do we find purpose and meaning? And he lays it out very, very elegantly and succinctly in, G- in John chapter 1. This is on page 809. If you don't have a chair Bible, we have these chair Bibles. And if you go to page 809, you'll follow, you can follow along with me. Um, I'm going to read the first five verses, then I'm going to jump down to verse 10. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything, notice, through Him, so the Word now has become Him. It's a Him. It's not an it. It's a Him. And nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And then we jump down to verse 10. He came into the the very world He created. It's the verse, you know, verses 1 through 5. He created the world. Now He's not just made the world and stepped back and watched the world. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But now He's entering into this creation, this world that He made. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth. Nicodemus chapter 3, where Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus says, do I enter my, my, my mother's womb again? And he says, no, I'm not talking about a physical birth. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God, a spiritual birth. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So he's a word, and this word is the creator of everything, and it's a he. And he not just made the world, but he entered into the world, and he is a son. And we know him to be Jesus. Now notice what John is doing. John is taking, you know, Genesis 1.1. What does Genesis 1.1 say? Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. John takes that verse and says, the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And everything was made by Him. There's John John 1.1 in Genesis 1.1. That's what John is doing here. The second thing we see here is that the world, 
uh, the word created the universe and everything in it as we know it. The third thing we see is the word is a person. John shows us that the progression was the word and it was a he and he became flesh and he was a son. And then we see as you read more and more into the gospel of John that John is referring to Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to talk more about this in a moment, but the word uh, logos uh, is a really loaded word in uh, in uh, the New Testament is written in Koine Greek, which is just basically um, it was a trade language. Uh, it's kind of like what English is in, in many countries that many people will speak English because it's it's an easy uh, it's not an easy language to learn, but it's a you know good language to, for, to do business in. So Greek was like that. It really was a universe, kind of a universal language around uh, the world at that time, the Greek world. And so uh, this word in, in Greek, logos, is, was a really uh, important word. Um, and so how do you, the Greek word logos for the Greeks meant purpose or meaning. So, so when they said, when they talked about the logos, they were talking about this philosophical idea of what is the purpose, what is the meaning of something, what is the, the, what is the, the essence behind something, what is it made for, what is its reason. So, uh, the, this word, word logos to the Greeks would mean the reason for life. Um, the Greeks constantly argued for the reason of things, for life. Uh, and logos was the word that we used to describe the purpose of something. What's its purpose? What does it do? And when you find the purpose for an object, that object begins to function the way it was meant. You know, you think about that um, when you're working, you know, in your shop or something along those lines, when, for instance, you take, um, you take a, a, a power tool the end of a drill, and it's pretty, you know, it's meant to drill holes and put screws in. But you take the end of it and you start hammering nails and you go, well, that's not what that's used for. That's Actually, that's going to destroy this tool. You can't use it that way. You've got to use it in the proper way. But if you use it as a drill, if you use it to screw, put screws in, it's, take them out. It's very, very effective, you know. And so, essentially, they were debating, what is the purpose of life? How is life, how are we supposed to live life? And so, in the same way, when we as human beings find our purpose in life, we begin to really live a good life, or we begin to live well. So the question is, how do we find, in other words, what I'm doing here is I'm suggesting that many of us go about our lives, but we've never really thought about what does it mean to live a life well, and how would we know it if we saw it? What would that look like? John is saying something very incredible here. He is saying there is a logos, there is a purpose, but it's but it's not just a purpose. It's not just a philosophical idea. See, the the Greeks were looking for this philosophical idea, this 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 goal out there. If I can just live my life and do this or do this or do this, then my life will be lived well, right? But what John is saying is that that it's not. Uh, it's not a philosophical belief. The Logos is a person. It's a person. John is basically saying that what you're looking for is not a concept, not a principle, but a person. You're looking for a person. And what he's saying is when you find this person, 
When you find your Creator, when you find your Savior, when you find your Lord, when you find Jesus Christ, you find your purpose. You find your life. We live life well when we live not for ourselves, but for Him. Now, this goes totally counter to our pop culture. Our American pop culture says live for yourself. Do what you want. Don't hurt others, but do what you want. Christianity says no. John says no. There's a logos. There's a purpose for your life. You need to look to your Creator and you will find that purpose. See, we were designed to know and to love Him. And when we come to Him, when we give Him our lives, we really get our lives. We get it. We find the true purpose for why we were made. We, we find the true freedom. We begin to really live. Uh, t- turn just for a minute, if you would, and, and I don't have these in the notes, but turn to Ephesians, cha- and I'll find it and I'll give you the page number. Ephesians chapter 2. It's on page 896. Ephesians 2. Uh, these verses, uh, verses 8 and 9, were instrumental in me coming to Jesus. When I say that, I, I need to explain what I'm saying. Um, I grew up in a, in a home that was very religious, very structured. We went to church every week, we went to confession once a month. We, we had uh, recitative prayers and all this stuff. I can still go back and do all of that. And I, I always thought I was a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church. I believed in God. Of course I'm a Christian. I'm in America. I'm a Christian. But I didn't realize that I had not taken the step of faith. That I had never, I had never called upon the Lord. I have never, He gave His life to me on the cross, but I had never given my life to Him. And that was pointed out to me. And one of the things was, one of the things that was pointed out was I was trying to save myself. It's trying to be good enough, trying to be better than others, trying to, you know, have a resume that I could give to God and say, you owe me. <laughs> Look at all that I've done for you. Now you owe me. Give me heaven. Now, you know. Um, but that it was pointed out to me that I was, you know, in fact, the two questions that, that uh, this uh, friend of mine asked me was this. The first one was, it was a Titanic question. He gave me a Titanic moment and he said, if you were to die today, would you go to be with God in heaven? And I thought, I hope so. He said, all right, let's ask you another one. If you were to die and you were to go to heaven and God were to say, why should I let you in heaven? What would you say? I said, well, I go to church every week. I didn't tell him I go to church every week because my mom said, you're going to church every week. I went to confession once a month. I believed in you. James says the devil's belief too. So I'm... I didn't know that at that point, but I thought that was pretty good. And I said, and, and I'm not as bad as most people. In other words, I hope God grades on a curve, and a, I think I'm at the upper, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on that upper edge, so I think I'm okay. And he said to me, what about Jesus? I go, yeah, I think he fits in there somewhere, but I have no idea where. Oh, I knew about Jesus. He died on a cross. He was born of a virgin. That He lived a perfect life. I knew all that. And he says, well, let's, let's look at a couple of verses. And these are the verses he took me to. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. 
God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And I realized, oh, snap. I was just boasting about all that I had done. And he said, you see, here's the problem. It's not what you're trying to do to be good enough. It's what he's already done for you. He was all in for you on the cross. He gave his life to you, but you have never, or you may have phrased it as a question, have you ever given your life to him? Jesus said to his followers, would-be followers, come follow me. Are you one of his followers? Have you crossed that line of faith? The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever done that? And I said, I don't know. Have you prayed to receive Christ? You say, I don't know. Well, why not? What's keeping you? What's stopping you? I go, I don't know. He said, well, you better go home and think about it and pray about it. And I did. And I prayed to receive Christ. These verses were instrumental. They changed my, they changed my, the course of my life. They, 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 what they did was they showed me that I lived in a world that wasn't mine. It was his. And that he loved me so much that he sent a rescue party to, for me. And that when I called upon him, I found my life and my heart was turned and my eyes were open and my life has changed ever since. I didn't go from being a, you know, to a perfect person at all and never thought I'd ever be a pastor. But here I am today. I mean, you know, God can do miracles, right? But here, look at verse 10. This is the verse I want you to see. When you give your life back to him, notice what happens in verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the great things he has planned long long ago. Here's the point. God created us to do great things for him. And if you want to live well, you have to give your life back to your creator. And as you give your life back to your creator, he gives you the life he's designed for you. And you begin to live out this created life that He has for you. And you begin to live according to the purpose He designed you to be. And you go, wow, this is cool. See, you were designed to know and love Him. And when you come to Him, when you give your life back to Him, you get your life back. And you find your purpose. You find true freedom. You begin to really live. Not only that, but you begin to start and you look around and you begin to serve others. You look at your resources and ask, how can I leverage my resources for His kingdom? How can I use what He has entrusted me to serve Him and to help others? How can I make a difference in this world for him, for his kingdom? How can I be a blessing to other people? You can't help not to look that way. That, that's why Jesus came. He came to seek and to serve the lost. For modeling him, that just is who we'll be. If we do this, though, we find life, we begin to live our lives well, and we live as we were designed to live. This is how God designed us to live. 
Now, your life will look different than mine. And, you know, every one of our lives is going to look a little bit different. But essentially, we're on the same trajectory. We're moving in the same direction. We're waking up every day and saying, not what do I want to do, but what does God want me to do? Because I'm living in His world and I'm one of His stewards and He's giving me stewardship over certain things and He's going to call me to give an account for that one day. But I, but I have a life that, that when I live it, here's the thing. Our culture basically says don't get tied down, don't get, don't allow anyone to tell you what to do. You do your own thing. And that's like a kite. We used to fly these kites, uh, and we get like eight or nine balls of string. And a kite, you'd almost have to get binoculars to see if it's still out there. You know, where is it? And the minute that line broke, the kite was gone. It was going to hit the ground. You, you just, it was done. The only way it could stay up is when it was held in tension. And what I'm saying is until you, you hitch your life to God and you say, God, you're the, my creator, I hitch my life to you, then we, become, we begin to soar, we begin to fly, we begin to do things that we, we never dreamed we could do. See, when we do this, we feel compelled to live for something. You know, the world says, live for something. But John says, no, you were designed to live for someone. Don't live for something. Live for someone. Live for Him. And then everything else will be kept in, in check. So living for your family, is, that's a good thing, but it's not the primary thing. Loving your family is a great thing. The primary thing is love God. Because why? When you love God and you allow God to direct your life and mold your life, you become a different person in your family. You become a servant. You become forgiving. You, you become sacrificial. Why? Because that's what he's done in your life. So you reflect that to you, all your relationships. Your relationships change. But they can only change when you connect with him. That, that's the only way they'll change. In other words, your life won't change until you connect with your creator. When you connect with your creator, your savior, your Lord, and you allow him to begin to speak into your life through the word of God, through the spirit of God, your life will transform and you'll become a different person. When we live for Him, we find our life. And we, we will live our life well. Well, how do you receive Him? John tells us, To all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Has that ever happened in your life? The titanic moment is coming every one of our lives. Now, maybe we'll, we'll never have it. We'll never experience it because we'll just, boom, we wake up or we go to bed and we never wake up. It's kind of a bad thought to think about, isn't it? If you don't know Jesus, it's a horrible thought to think about. But if you know Jesus, you go, okay, you go off to sleep and wake up and, with Jesus, you know. And, but, but here's the point. You go into the office and the doctor says, you got cancer. I don't know if there's anything we can do. You, you, you've lived your life and you, you, you come to a place where you go realize, I don't have much longer here. I'm on the deck and the boat's going under. Can you look back and say, I lived well. I lived well. How would you know it? Well, John shows us 
That we don't live for something. We live for someone. And we find the right someone we live to. And we give our life to him. And we follow him. Because he was all in for us. We're all in for him. And when we begin to do that, we begin to live our life well. We will stand one day on the Titanic and we'll say, it doesn't matter if I lose all that money. It doesn't matter if I had a job in New York. I better job coming in heaven. Life changes. Values change. Everything changes. We don't get freaked out about things on this earth so much because we realize we know how the, everything is going to turn out. We know the final score and what that's going to happen. That's an encouragement to us. We hold our heads up. That's how we make it in life. Are you living your life well? Have you thought about it lately? Would you? Would you, would you consider how you're living your life and what you're living for or who you're living for? Would you consider that tonight, this weekend? That's a good thing to think about. Stand and let's pray. Father, um, thank you for bringing us together as your church. Help us to consider probably one of the most foundational topics that we could ever think about. Why do we exist? What's our purpose? Am I living a life well? Help us to wrestle with that. Father, maybe there's some here uh, this weekend who don't know you and they don't know how to trust you across that line of faith that I talked about. And maybe this prayer would reflect their hearts. And so if you're one of those uh, people, they say, well, how do I cross that line? How do I trust Jesus? It's very simply this. Just pray this prayer. And uh, the words aren't magical or significant. But uh, if this is a reflection of your heart, then... You just pray silently as I pray out loud. Dear Jesus, I realize that you came to set me free, to give my life purpose. You came into this world you created, and it was re- you were rejected. And you gave your life. You took my sin on the cross. You paid the price for my sin. You gave your life so that I could live. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and you came to rescue me. I can't save myself. I'll never be good enough. You are good enough for me. You took the pain, the penalty for my sin. And you gave me forgiveness and acceptance and adoption as your son or daughter. I don't understand all that. But now I place my faith and trust in you. You gave your life to me. Now I right now am giving my life to you. I'm following you. Thank you for your forgiveness in my life. And Father, if they prayed this prayer, I pray that they would let somebody know. They've probably been praying for them to take the step of faith. And Father, for the rest of us who maybe have prayed this prayer, maybe recently or maybe a long time ago, help us to just do a reality check. Are we living our life well? If we were standing on the deck of the Titanic tonight and it was going under, would we say, I didn't live a perfect life, but I live my life for Him? Father, thank You for Your Word and Your encouragement. May Your Spirit work in our hearts in the way that He needs to. 
I pray that you would give a, a complete freedom for the Spirit to convict, to encourage, to challenge us right here, right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.